This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So the clock has gone nine minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. Thank you very much to Ndlandla Suhume and the news team for keeping us up to date with what's happening in our country and our world. Well, one of the things that's happening in the world is that UNESCO, which is an agency of the United Nations, and they focus very much on science and innovation and heritage preservation. They are dedicating this International Day of Education celebrated today, the 24th of January, to the crucial role education and teachers play in countering hate speech, a phenomenon which they say has snowballed in recent years, particularly with the use of social media uh, and also the emergence of non-traditional media. Um, You know, this whole idea of fake news or the need to fact check. So all of those things create an environment of... Um, inflammatory statements which um, can worsen discrimination, racism, xenophobia, I'm going to add to this Afrophobia, um, misrepresentation and hate speech. And a lot of this verbal violence um, transcends geography, gender, misogyny, race, religion, uh, different political ideologies, a lot of intolerance, and it happens offline and it happens online. And, you know, the loose term for this is a kind of cyberbullying, but it's more than that. It's the disinformation and misinformation that's peddled online, which then creates really fraught social relations because people take what they read on social media as fact. And then they go and express their responses in social settings. And so this International Day of Education, UNESCO and indeed the United Nations, uh, has a recommendation on what they call education for peace, education for human rights, and of course, education and helping to foster those 17 sustainable development goals of the UN. So let's speak to a trustee of the Umlambo Foundation, Professor Anthony van Neukerk. Good morning. Happy to be on your show. Thank you so much. And I'm not sure if it's Antony or Anthony, so please correct me. <laughs> uh, my students call me Prof Antony. So Antony. Yes, we go for Antony. Thank you so much. Okay, and forgive me for that. So I think this is such an interesting um, theme for this mm. year. One, because my day job involves facilitating conversations and often so many things get lost in translation because people see the world from their vantage point and their lived experiences and their emotional context and really have developed the faculty to put themselves in another person's shoes and see the humanity of another person. And it's frightening sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think your introduction was very well done because you capture the, how do you say in German, Zeitgeist. 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 Yeah. The, the, the times in which we live 
uh, globally, but also continentally and even here at home. Um, the times are unsettling. Um, people talk about a VUCA world, you know. Mm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a confusing time uh, to be in and to make sense of what's happening in the world. And there are deep uh, structural reasons for that, which I think drove the UN system or UNESCO, the way mm. you explained it. Um, to dedicate International Education Day to uh, the quest for peace. They, uh, in fact, they call it lasting peace. Mm. A state of mind where you feel safe and secure and not threatened. Mm. Uh, and this is of particular relevance in my, my understanding of this International Day for us here in Africa. Yeah. Because Africa is at the receiving end of a, a lot of violent behavior. Yeah. Self-generated, imported from the outside, uh, uh, competition in this new Cold War era, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but allow me to say one other thing. I think there's a deep structural reason for the things, the symptoms that, that you've described and that I'm also mentioning. Um, the, the times in which we live is really um, an interregnum between an old world which was comfortably dominated by Western narratives, um, uh, the very powerful cultural and political, economic and military influence of the West, America and Europe together. Um, and that is coming to an end, the era of that superpower uh, controlling global agendas is coming to an end. And they have been challenged or they are being challenged uh, by rising powers elsewhere mostly in Asia, think of China, but also um, elsewhere in, in Asia. And one shouldn't forget about the impact that Africa will have over the next 30 to 50 years on global politics, economics, okay. uh, and so on. And in this period, we are shifting from an old order that is breaking up to a new order that still has to be established. We mm -hmm. still have to work out what, is the, what are the rules of the game. And in this process, there's a lot of propaganda, mis- and disinformation being peddled right. by those who want to protect their comfortable, you know, um, advantages and mm. privileged position globally, mm -hmm. and those who are threatening them, which is why the, we have wars. We have wars, uh, uh, Russia against NATO playing out in Ukraine. Right. Yeah. There's a war in the Middle East that is expanding beyond the Gaza Strip now, you know, to mm. engulf the, the actual the middle, the region. Mm. And the, and the Europeans are sending hardware and a lot of weapons mm. to try and protect their interests in the Middle East. They're not sending envoys to make peace. Yeah. Um, and the Europeans are not sending their European um, prime ministers and the leaders of the EU okay. to talk to the Russians about peace. It's about uh, war and using violence to protect what it's own. Okay, so Under these conditions, you know, people feel unsettled because how do you make sense of the world? Where do we belong? Yeah. There are many things that you've said, and I'd really appreciate if we just kind of simplified it for, for the broader um, audience, for myself as well. So I'm understanding you as saying we can look at it simply as fake news and um, social media uh, creating a dystopian world. But if we break it down into segments, you'll start to see where the triggers are. Excuse uh, the pun. So from a global perspective, mm. we have a, a world that is realigning. Mm. 
slowly but realigning with the supremacy of the United States now firmly being challenged by the rise of China and other Asian nations. And what that means is the Eurocentricity of the world and the Eurocentric values of the world have come into sharp focus and questioning, which is why South Africa, for example, was able to go to the ICG, whether they win or lose that case. But they're able to go to the ICG and say, can we define what we mean by morality, value of life? Who Whose lives matter more than other people's lives? If people are brown, does that mean that their lives are worth less than people who are lighter skinned? And that's really crudely a summation of what happened at the ICJ. And so we're going to see more and more of that happening as the world reorientates itself to new powers emerging. Is this what you're saying? Yes, uh, yes. I'm saying that. And let me add, uh, add a bit of color too. Um, you're right about the ICJ. Um, it's almost as if after hosting the BRICS summit in, uh, in Johannesburg last year. Mm. So this is an alliance of, of, you know, very powerful countries from the developing world, the global south. Mm. We hosted them. We're a founding member. And at that meeting, which was chaired by the president, um, this BRICS alliance decided to to enlarge membership, to bring others mm. to the table, mm. to make this sort of grouping of southern developing countries even stronger, to have a voice in international affairs as this realignment is beginning to happen. Mm. And I think the confidence that the South African government and the president got out of that hosting that BRICS mm. uh, summit, which I think was quite successful, mm. has given South Africa... Um, a new lease, it's foreign policy, a new lease on life. It's almost as if we are beginning to rediscover our moral compass, which is why we sent a team to to The Hague with lots of confidence, maybe not to make a legalistic argument, but to make the moral argument the way that you've just summarized it for us. So that's the one one color that I want to add. And allow me to say one other one quickly. Um, we, we We grew up in a world where the values the norms and the systems and the way of life were really determined by by North America and by the West, Western values, a Western value system. This is coming under threat because people globally do not trust ruling elites or mm. politicians as they did before. Mm. They find them to be wanting. They find them to be fragile, mm. weak, corrupt, uh, 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 not honest or dishonest. And um, it's also a reflection on the values that we have as a society because we produce the politicians to lead us. And so there's a failure of leadership at the political right. level. That gives rise to all of this antagonistic stuff that you spoke about, the use of the social media or non-alternative, uh, or non-traditional media uh, to, to, to tell a story that might or might not be yeah. true. Okay. And it plays out in front of our eyes when you look at the American campaign. There's Trump here and Biden there. Yeah. And very soon, this thing is going to hit us even harder, Lerato, because our election is around the corner. Okay. And the same thing is going to happen to us. Okay, so what? I, so, so from the example we've just used with the issue of The Hague and South Africa regaining uh, a sense of its moral uh, compass and um, international influence on some of these issues, is that you'll then have countries of the developing world saying, actually, these are our values, and then you'll have a pushback from the... Western world, particularly the United States and countries like Israel, who up until now uh, 
were held on a pedestal. And so they will push back to say, no, these aren't true realities. The, we, we can't call it a genocide or we can't call it a racially inspired war or we can't call it religious bias because um, this is how we've carved out the world and you are trying to change that. So elites and ruling elites will then peddle another level of misinformation to hold on to their privilege. That's what you mean by holding on to the privilege. That's correct. Okay. Absolutely. And, and, and by the way, you know, Lerato, we, we are being targeted for making these choices as, as a country uh, and as a leadership in the global south. We are okay. choosing to align ourselves with what is coming, uh, the rising alternative to the Western value system. Okay. And, and the Americans and the Europeans do not like this. So they, they really put us under, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, of strain. Yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, but, but at least the Minister of uh, Trade indicated the other day that um, there's been significant headway now in AGOA being, or indications yes. that AGOA will be... Um, will survive. Will survive for another 10 years. And we have to assume that South Africa will be allowed to participate in the treaty. So, so yeah. you know, yeah. there are still a lot yeah. of gains. Okay, so let's take this away from the issues of how information is used in international relations and mass media globally to influence narratives around countries and their values and bring it back to the national agenda. Mm. Mm. All right, because how the local media, how local debate platforms, how local politicians speak either inflame an environment of xenophobia and I'm going to say Afrophobia, because it's not so much that South Africans are developing this dislike for foreigners. It's a dislike in particular for black African foreigners. And yet, when we talk Mm. about the immigration problem in South Africa, we also know of many white people who are not here with the right paperwork, who arrived here as tourists and then never left. You know, I'm thinking of an American rapper as well, Um, (laughs) you know, who stayed in in Cape Town for a long, long time on a tourist visa. So so the the conversations are never targeting affluent white Europeans. It's always Africans. And yet the problem is illegal immigration, which is cross-cutting. And then politicians in their rhetoric nowadays they will go to a a flashpoint and they'll say, yes, um, we got to this place and we found seven Zimbabweans, six Nigerians, et cetera, et cetera, which then starts to reinforce this rhetoric. Yeah. And so we're starting to see it. And the media, when they report one Zimbabwean was caught stealing bread, I thought the theft was the issue. But now it's mm. the Zimbabwean aspect of it or the Somalis mm. or, you know. So mm. in as much as we must talk about crime, which is a South African problem, illegal immigration, which is a local problem, an economy that's underperforming, which is a South African problem. The language is now being laced with tribalism, racism, sure. um, yes. xenophobia, yes. and that's all in the public domain. Yeah, unfortunately. So, so my perspective on this point is that... Um, Remember, we made a, quite a courageous transition from apartheid and colonialism to a form of democracy. And we've had 30 years or so to consolidate our gains. But paradoxically, at the same time, the ruling party started to lose uh, its edge or control over society or hegemony, you know, different ways to explain this, uh, believing that it leads, it's the leader of society. 
Um, and I must say, you know, in brackets, that liberation movements go through these growth uh, peak and then decline phases. It happens globally. Uh, we're not unique in that. But what is troubling is that as we need to consolidate our democracy and in the, in the process define ourselves as a nation, knowing who we are, our identity as Africans, uh, those who are supposed to lead us are beginning to let us down or they lose their esteem or they lose idealism or vision. So the ANC is a shadow of its former self and it'll be challenged now this year and maybe in the next election cycle. Uh, by a horde of alternative politicians and different voices who say, we want to close the gap. We know who we're supposed to be. Let us lead the conversation. But unfortunately, you know, in the National Development Plan, uh, the last chapter is about social cohesion, chapter nine, I think. It's clear to me that we haven't found social cohesion and that we don't speak together as a nation. We're a nation in the making. And in that process, uh, the, the, the dominant narratives. Remember the ANC said non-sexist, uh, non-racist, democratic mm. society. It's being challenged. Mm. It's being challenged. And they've lost some of their brightest minds uh, because maybe yeah. because of age or they retire or they move on. Oh, politics becomes a, a dirty game mm. and there's a lot of corruption. I don't have to explain that part. Mm -hmm. And so alternative voices are coming up. And some okay. are very racist, xenophobic, Afrophobic, and narrow and powerful voices. They dominate some parts of the social mm. media. Big guys with strong voices and they influence parts of our population to say, come with me, we're gonna re we're gonna sort out these illegal immigrants very yeah. quickly. And 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 but the, it's also true on the other end. We were just talking today about a South African who won an international UFC tournament. Great sportsmanship. But on his victory speech he chose to raise the issue of farm murders, which one mm. murder is a lot in South Africa, but we're dealing with a country that's faced with rampant crime and not yes. rampant crime specifically impacting the farming community. But to drive that narrative adds to the racialization of South Africa. White people are under threat. Farmers are under threat. Singing struggle songs infuses. And yet the truth of the matter, the statistics don't back up the narrative. So that's misinformation yeah. itself. No, indeed. I was disappointed to, to hear him say that. And I, I was astonished to see a tweet, I might be wrong, where the, the Gauteng of Premier congratulated him on his victory. And I thought, Panyaza, have you listened to this guy carefully? Mm. <laughs> He's not doing us any favors. If he spoke about, you know, the crime, the problem that society has, that's one story. But if he now singles out one minority group to say we're under constant attack, then you create another kind of narrative. It's unfortunate. It detracts from, from his achievement. Mm. So there are many voices like that. And some are very deliberate. And some are meant to destabilize society. And some form new political parties and coalitions and so on. And uh, I call them coalitions of the wounded mm. or, you know, the lost causes. But they deliberately use myth and disinformation and propaganda, very powerful um, mental instruments to, mm. to destabilize society. Okay. You have to ask yourself, uh, if you don't like the ruling party and what it is trying to do, which coalition of opposition okay. parties will come with one unified voice and a vision that will inspire us to vote for okay. them? And in that process, a lot of propaganda is let loose on okay. all of us. Okay, so let's move to the third tier, the very personal 
experiences and uh, discussions that people have at their mm. dinner tables, in their communities, on their streets, okay, faced with very real issues that confront them. So young people unemployed will have a view on the country and the world. Women faced with GBV will have a view on the country, men and the world. Um People, depending on their status, uh, social status, will have a view on the country, on politics, whether the country is falling apart or the country has promise. And so at this level, it's hard to filtrate information because it's what people take from social media, infuse with their own point of view, and then have in a, an undiluted space called the yes. dinner table. Yes. And that's where a lot of the tensions start to flare up because once we see a protest or a community going up in flames, the information that's come to them, however it's come to them, plus what they have seen and experienced, is what then leads to the flare-up. Sure. You know, Lerato, allow me to to make this point uh, around some of those dinner table conversations and bring it back to the International Day of Education and the role of teachers. We need to teach the current, but also the next generation, uh, of South Africans, the, the the skill or the ability to discern truth from falsehood, which means you have to teach, teachers have to find a way to train our youngsters in school and even students at university, uh, the methodology of finding reliable sources of information and not believe everything that you read on social media, Twitter, X, Facebook, etc., to discern between and use a value-based approach to understanding information that comes to you. If we don't do that, we end up with conversations informed by mis- and disinformation and, and, and very naked propaganda, and it doesn't do anybody a favor. I, to what extent does this happen in our schooling system? I think we can improve. Um, I'm not blaming the schooling system or our politicians running the system. I'm saying that because remember at the beginning of the conversation, I said we're going through this very unstable or unsettling transition uh, where values are being tested Mm. and relationships and political leadership. Mm. If we factor this into our curriculum going forward over the next couple of years, Mm. we will do our own people, our own children, our young people and the next generation of decision makers a great service by allowing them to get those skills. And that's what the Umlombo Foundation, in a very small way in one corner, is trying to do, is to skill up or allow teachers and principals to get that tools, that methodology. If you read an article, is it true or not? And how do I know that? So that they can do uh, a service to their pupils. So if I was to ask you, because we've run out of time, in less than 30 seconds, Mm. As the Umlambo Foundation, what's your call to action? So UNESCO is saying, let's dedicate this day to education for peace. Let us get into the classrooms with the students. Let's get into the media and let's start filtering information that is true from what is false, that builds from what destroys, um, that is constitutional from what is unconstitutional. So for you, what's the call Mm. to action? Yeah, in 30 seconds. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So Lerato, I think the foundation... Does on this score does two things. Uh, uh, the patron is Dr. Uh, Pumzile Mulamunyoka. Yes, she's been asked by the AU to help facilitate uh, and mediate in conflict situations in Africa, mm-hmm. and she's doing that. And there are lots of lessons that she is learning and sharing with us on how to mediate conflict, how to bring parties to an agreement, to a settlement.
Mm-hmm. Those lessons must be introduced into our schooling system because we want young people to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. Mm. And those lessons that you pick up from the border, from the broader architecture, really, uh, infused by South African constitutional values, I think is, is the contribution that Umlombo can make. Oh, thank you for your time, Professor Antoni van Nieuwkerk, who's a trustee of the Umlambo Foundation. So today is the International Day of Education, and UNESCO, which is an agency of the United Nations, is saying they would recommend that we focus on education for peace, for human rights, and sustainable development. I say here, here. We all have value and we all need to respect each other's intrinsic value and not dehumanize each other. And we need the academic and intellectual tools, the critical thinking tools to be able to assess when we are failing on those values. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.